0: across the Thames Valley one more time across the Thames Valley this this is river radio
1: well now for some pop music try this lunch lunch will keep us together
2: Hello everyone and welcome to this podcast Let's Do Lunch with me Jenny Tishy. I'm a registered nutritionist and this show is all about both nutrition and food because at heart I'm also an absolute foodie and that's actually how my guest today and I met. We met because we have a mutual love of food but even possibly originally from the same perspective, but allow me to introduce you today to Sam, who is quite unique. Let's shall we say that Sam, you're unique, aren't you?
0: Yeah, we, can, we
1: can say that.
2: <laughs> In that, Sam uh, is a professional cyclist and cycles for a team called Team Novo Nordisk. Now, I've been really excited about this because the entire team are type one diabetics. And that is unusual. You are the first team in the world, are you not, who are entirely type 1 diabetics?
1: Yes. Yeah, so, uh, yeah, um, everybody, all 17 riders, type 1 diabetic, um, at various stages of diagnosis throughout their sort of age span. So 17,
2: 17 of
1: you. And what age ranges are you? So um, we kind of... Go through from the youngest. This year was about nineteen, and we go through to 35 36. Wow.
2: Okay, and you're fairly slap bang in the middle of all of that.
1: Yeah, I'm fairly middle ground. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> thirteen myself.
2: So yeah. So yeah. do Take
1: middle ground. That's fine.
2: Do share with our listeners how you came to be cycling for such a unique and exciting by the sounds of everything that I've seen following you as I do closely on social media and I advise others to do the same. How on earth did you end up where you
1: are now? So I mean this this story might take longer than an hour actually but uh, <laughs> it's, it's quite a, a strange one you know because I grew up playing football, I was an, a runner, I did every single sport known to man, you know I I, I was super competitive and um, that's how sort of my journey really began because uh, I was diagnosed with type one diabetes at ten, um, and then that kind of developed from there. and And it it meant that as I grew as an athlete as a as a human in in my age, I kind of developed different interests. I went from playing football to running a little bit at the same time, to then watching my dad do age group triathlon. Wow! Uh, I went to university and I realized that. I wasn't done with football and I kind of wanted to focus on the running side of stuff. So I decided let's do something positive at university. You know what the normal sort of sleeping, um, schedule is right at university. It's kind of all over the place, but I wanted that, that rigid pattern to go alongside my diabetes. So I went from, um, football to triathlon and within sort of 18 months of starting triathlon, I qualified to represent great Britain at age group level. Um, from that, I went from age group athlete to reaching out to Team Nova Nordisk through that channel because they had an elite team. Uh, from that elite setup, I um, sort of went 2014, end of 2014, start of 2015. Um, they'd invited me to join the sort of the talent pool, the talent ID camp. And I said, well, I've got one year left at university. Uh, my parents probably kill me. Uh, <laughs> I decided at that age to say no. If I knew what I was saying no to, maybe I'd have made a different decision because it's been the best decision I ever made. But, um, I sort of decided to push it back a year, whether I'd have that opportunity again. So in the middle of 2015, I flew out to America, which I would thought I was going as sort of a 24 year old going to be someone from the triathlon team to help at this kid's camp. Uh, two months later, I got a contract offer to do, join the development team, um, bear in mind, I'd done a year in industry with my degree. I'd um, done uh, two months as uh, a graduate surveyor. And then all of a sudden I handed in my notice and I moved to America and started this sort of dream in 2016. And, and what did your parents uh, within, say to that? <laughs> um, I remember sending the email. Um, I got an email from the coach on the development team and he said, here's your contract. Any questions, let me know. And I sent it to my dad. My dad didn't really say much. And um, because he's someone I, I ask for opinion a lot um, and he didn't say much. He just said, cycling's hard. We know we've we've always been in cycling. I'd never raced myself, but I'd always been around it. My dad organized a lot of races here in the Isle of Man. And um, he was kind of like, cycling's hard. But I was like, well, this team is exactly what I want to do and where I want to be and my kind of people. So I said to not a lot. I said, what's the worst that could happen in my head? I emailed the coach back, copied my dad in and said, uh, um, I'd take you up on the offer. And my dad responded straight back to me saying, let's do this. So brilliant. Um, I had the the support, but he had to lead. He couldn't lead me to the answer. You know, he made me, he let me make the, the answers and learn and live by those decisions. So, yeah, I started full-time cycling, well, 2016. I only raced my first bike race in May 20 or April 2016. And then I turned pro 18 months later. So, yeah, it was a big, a big journey. Everything's uh, happened
2: so quickly, hasn't it? Really, when you think about bad, the. Really And what I find interesting, as you know, I work with a lot of sports people from lots of different disciplines. And the thing that struck me is that people seem to have to specialise so early on. But actually, what you're saying is that you were able to kind of try a few things and then whittle it down a little bit further. Do you think your dad's uh, interest in triathlons helped with
1: that? Or do you think you'd have found your way to where you are anyway? You know, um, we we'll probably get more onto the diabetes side after, but I think that that diagnosis of type one diabetes gave me a lot of good, like a lot of, um, good things uh, mm. where it's noted a lot for the negative. But I think in that respect, which I'll touch on later, it gave me a lot of good things. I think I would have found my way to this point anyway. Um, I definitely had a mix of, um, a mix of different sports. And I do notice now a lot of the younger kids, they feel they need to specialize a lot earlier. Mm. And that does add a lot of stress. Now for me, I was able, even whilst I was representing great Britain in triathlon, I was able to go and do other stuff and play football on the side and, and still maintain that different sort of level and have that ability in school to play every single sport. Also helped my body develop a bit further in you know, whole tend to have not issues, but sort of problems because they're stuck in one position and then it can lead to different things. Whereas I was off running and building up my bone density and just having a great time. So there's a lot to be said about professionalism, but also enjoyment. And I find that I've got so much enjoyment out of everything I've ever done that it's really helped. It's been the best. Yeah, create who
2: you are today, really. So question for you then, you've done lots of different sports and at quite a high level, many of them. What's the level, I mean, now that you are where you are and you're cycling for a team that is solely type 1 diabetics, what was the level of support like in other sports versus where you are right now, which is not just the sport, but it's the team that you're in. It's providing the support, I would imagine.
1: Well, yeah, obviously with 17 riders, everybody, sort of the owner, the CEO, Phil Sutherland, he created the team. He was diagnosed at seven months old. So it's been his journey as well. So it's kind of this team is being built around... Not me per se, but it feels like it's being built around my values. And I think every rider feels that as well. So, for example, at school, I was the only child with type 1 diabetes. It was tough. It was Mm. difficult. But I didn't really see any other side to it. So I kind of had that feeling. But also, at school, you might have been told you can't do this or you can't do that. Or people were a bit more wary. I had to forge my own path whereas now with the team, everybody sort of understands and gets it, whereas people are a bit sort of standoffish at the start. I had, I was lucky growing up playing football because my um, coach in football, uh, his daughter was actually type 1 diabetic as well, so he had some level of knowledge. Um, So that was lucky, shall we say. Uh, but apart from that, I kind of had to forge everything myself. I had to make sure that I knew my boundaries in terms of, physical ability, but also in my the diabetes side of stuff as well. So um, it was all development, sort of a lot of help from mum and dad. And, you know, it's just uh, I'm a very positive person and I can't really say much negative, and if, if anything. So I just kind of had to go through the steps myself and just see what, what what was around the next corner.
2: And actually, that is a really key point here and one of the reasons I was so excited about talking to you because I know in my work but also in my life I've come across many children, I have teenagers of my own but many children who have recently been diagnosed who are really sporty um, we have some excellent local athletes within this area here that are type 1 diabetics could you, and I mean I know as well that the, the it, there's an increase of 4% I think a year of diagnoses in children of type 1 diabetes it is a, an autoimmune disease and it is one of those uh, we're trying to understand a lot more about and certainly from a nutritional perspective we're trying to understand a lot more about but you just referred there to the fact that you were the only child in your school and you were lucky to have your coach's daughter in your in the world of football that, that understood what you were going through but For anybody that is recently diagnosed, and I know you've very kindly spoken to someone that I've put directly in contact with you and been so highly motivational to them and not putting you under pressure to be motivational, but what advice could you give to somebody who's a teenager, I know you were 10 when you were diagnosed, but a young person that's been recently diagnosed and just loves their sport?
1: So this is... um... Firstly, thank you for the kind words. I mean, I don't, I take the, the term inspirational really not bad. I don't know how to accept it because I don't do what I do to be, inspirational. I do what I do to help people. When I was diagnosed, like I said, there was no one in my age and that's what I wanted at that time. I needed somebody to look up to somebody to that. So if I have that platform now to give back and I can support Youngsters, teenagers going through a diagnosis, then that's where I want to be. That's who I want to be and what I want to do. And to those out there who might be recently diagnosed, who might be uh, struggling a little bit, maybe, or not really sure where it is going to take them, um, diabetes is the best thing that's ever happened to me, full stop. Absolutely the best thing. At 10, I developed a routine, I developed um, uh, a way to manage a situation. For my benefit, you know, because in that case, then I, I I built like sort of pathways to help me in professional life, in professional sport. And that's something that 18, 19 year olds didn't have. So I had that at 10 and then it also gave me um, a team, a community, a family, mm. but also a reason to do what I'm doing and something to push for and to change. So I live with the mantra of change, like, change the world or change my part of the world. And I can do that by getting on the bike every day, being the best person I can be. But honestly, like I say, I say to parents, I say to youngsters, I try to just get across that, okay, I don't want others to have a negative diagnosis story because I feel that there's so much more to offer and you're not defined by your diabetes. So in that respect, I hope that they will finally, I'm not saying it'll be immediate, but getting to understand your diabetes and realizing that, it can be for a benefit. No, I know what my body's doing in terms of fueling strategies, in terms of everything before a lot of other athletes know. So I use that as a benefit as well. So for me, it was the best thing that ever happened to me. And that's not just because I'm now a professional athlete living with one diabetes, but because it's given me so much and that sort of want that family and that ability to sort of help and support other people is something that I crave and that's what it really has allowed me to be able to do.
2: Do you know it's interesting you say that because I other professional athletes I've spoken to who are type 1 diabetics have said something similar in the sense that you have such a great understanding and for you at such a young age of your body how it works how it's meant to work how it feels good when it's working well and the interventions that you require to put in place to make your body work at its best. And you're right. There's so many, I mean, particularly teenagers, you know, they don't fuel properly before they go out. Then they do like a whole day of exercise or an event or a, a competition or a tournament, and they just won't eat the right things. But for you, I guess that had to be your number one priority. Packing before you left to go anywhere had to be quite ordered, I would imagine.
1: Yeah, I had to have everything in place. I couldn't, like, I had to rely on myself being sustainable. I had to be in situations where I could control the outcome uh, in terms of jelly babies, uh, anything that I needed to take to keep my blood sugars in in the right zone. And um, that's just how it's been, you know. And I I honestly don't think about it as something other than something I've always done. I don't remember a day without diabetes. Um, So, I mean... there's not much more I can add to it you know I just have to be prepared I put myself in a situation which is is the best I mean you wouldn't go out for a a, an all-day sort of hike without a packed lunch shall we say yeah yeah exactly without water so I just have to make sure that I have everything in place and be prepared you know I like to have it all like sort of jotted down I guess it goes hand in hand with my personality as well so yeah,
2: that, well, that's an interesting thing, isn't it? Because I was thinking, you know, some... Uh, I don't, I'd maybe talk about my own son. Uh, you know, I'm not teenagers are not always the most organised and, you know, trying to get on top of that kind of thing. When you were 10, did you step up uh, or did you require quite a lot of support from family, parents, uh, et cetera, to, to make See, it work?
1: My mum probably says the same about me as you do about <laughs> your son, so... I'm sure you my mum would get on just fine. Um, but uh, I definitely had a huge amount of support from my mum and dad. Um, we had a great support network on the Isle of Man. Um, my parents have been rocks through the whole thing. Like I, I remember that I only view my diabetes from my side, so it's weird to think of it from another perspective, but I often have to come back to it and think about how they had to cope with the situation because it was a diagnosis for me. At 10 years old, I'm very not in charge, not responsible for a lot of stuff. There's there's not much you're responsible for at 10 years old. Uh, Maybe a goldfish or something. But uh, (laughs) I wasn't really in a situation where I could take that information on board. And I think the three of us kind of learned from that day going forward what the next step of life was going to be about. And um, they really, really put in... Sort of protocols in place. Uh, the diabetes team helped me put, put protocols in place. But my parents really sort of helped me for the first, well, even till now. I mean, it's 20 years since my diagnosis. I was actually diagnosed on World Diabetes Day. So it was all like go back to that sort of, um, it would be kind of scenario. But um, my parents helped me so much. I couldn't do this without them and I still couldn't do it without them, you know. So um, it's part of me, it's part of us as a family, but um, it's not something that holds us back.
2: Uh, it's absolutely wonderful. I mean, it sounds like your parents have been absolutely by your side throughout this. And like you say, whilst you have your own view and your own perspective on your own situation, because right, we all do, right, that we live our own lives we are reliant on those around us and however old we are, we are reliant on other people around us and what affects us does affect them. Perhaps another podcast uh, is to get your mum on and have a chat with when and your dad. It'd be wonderful, but that's not for today. <laughs> um, so can I ask you... Is it possible to share, you know, you mentioned that you don't know life without diabetes. So like what a typical day is like for you when you wake up, is it is the first thing on your mind that you have to check your your blood sugar levels or can you share that with people? Because there may be some people listening in that aren't really familiar with what it means to be a type one diabetic.
1: Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of um, sort of I don't want to say misconstrued sort of things, but there's obviously a lot in the news about diabetes and then they often don't label type one and type two, which then sort of creates this divide. And as a person with diabetes, I don't want to separate people apart. You know, I'm not labeling people. I don't want, like I, I represent the diabetes community or I hope in a good way to represent the diabetes community. So when I'm riding my bike, it's for the whole diabetes population. Now, type one is, as you mentioned before, autoimmune. So it's something where my body sort of thought you know the beta cells kills them all off and then I don't create insulin anymore so I have to manually put my insulin in so I find that it's a, a comp not a complication because it's not a complication but it's a it's a it's a condition that creates a lot of questions yeah. uh, shall we say so um for me There's so much data there. I was lucky that I was diagnosed in 2001 because Google isn't what it is now. So there wasn't that opportunity to just type something and see all the negative or all the positive. There was just nothing. That resource wasn't quite as it is now. So um, I wake up. I try not to take on too much information. I just wake up. I have to check my blood sugar, uh, check my blood sugar, then sort of then develop the next question. Because for me, the way I look at my diabetes is solution the answer is always what my blood glucose is so if my blood glucose is in range then that's the answer then the next question appears so then the next question is okay so that's the what are we going to do next so I think the figure is like 180 more decisions with diabetes so that's a lot of questions running through your head in a day and um, I kind of try and take everything simply as the one in front of me so if I'm getting up, first of all I mean, I think it's Steve Redgrave who said this, but he's going to, because I'm, I'm still unsure as to what diabetes he actually has or whether it's type one or type two, but maybe you'll know. But he says, I want to make diabetes live with me. And that's, that's exactly how I see it. I want to make sure that my life is determined by what I'm doing on a bike, by what I'm doing with my family, as opposed to what my diabetes is doing. That's just going to have to deal with whatever I want to do. So I wake up. I check my blood sugar, find out what it is. And then, then the first thing on my mind is, right, what training do I have today? It's like, okay, I have this training. I have four hours. I have interval efforts. Uh, and then I have to then work out what I'm going to have for breakfast, like any other cyclist or any other performance athlete. So, for example, this morning I woke up, uh, had some um, efforts to do. So it was, you probably know more more about this than me, but it was uh, – it was sort of, I would normally on a long ride have maybe like your porridge, your slow release food. And this morning I had toast and an omelet, which is an absolute favorite of mine. So, uh, and you had to get some quicker acting um, sugar in. So that was kind of my decision based on what I had to do as apart from being type one. So that was my decision based on my training. So I build my life around the training and then around my cycling and then the diabetes just falls into line with that. And then, Okay, it doesn't often always do what I want to do, but um, that's just uh, living with diabetes. So then uh, making those decisions, I'm constantly checking on the bike what my blood sugar levels are. We have continuous monitors now, so it made it a lot easier. Um, so I'm able to check what my sugars are doing. And that, like I say, having that answer continuously means that I can make a decision and make a Another question based on what I've got there. So I'm out for a ride. I'm in the middle of a four hour ride. My sugars are in zone. I My decision's made. I don't need to do anything or I need to eat a banana or I need to do the next step. But that's always based on the information I have at hand. That's um, a lot so, of information
2: you've got uh, um, running through your head and available to you. I'd love to talk a little bit more, just going to take a brief pause, but I'd love to take, talk a little bit more about some of the challenges, um, some of the travel that you have part- partaken in and, and how that's created perhaps some challenges around finding food. <laughs> that's it's hard enough sometimes, isn't it? So let's. We'll be back in a just a moment.
0: Windsor, Windsor Ascot, 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 Maidenhead, Maidenhead Bracknell, Bracknell, Wokingham, Wokingham Henley, Henley Reading. Reading. Okay, Ta-da. the voice. River Radio of the Thames Valley.
2: Welcome back to this. Let's do lunch with me, Jenny Tishy. Now, this is a show all about food and nutrition. And today we are joined by Sam, who is part of a pro cycling team, Team Novo Nordisk. You are in made up of entirely type 1 diabetics, 17 in total. And the CEO, I've also found out, is a type 1 diabetic and it's inspired him to want to create a pro cycling team. We've been talking a little bit about your own diagnosis, Sam, haven't we? Um, But I would love to talk about some of the challenges as a professional athlete that you have faced uh, with regards to managing your condition, uh, including, of course, some of the travel that you've done, like you've done when you were younger, but also now as part of the team.
1: Yes, so it's it's such a glorious profession, you know. I, I do travel a lot. It's not as glorious as people think that you're in five star hotels every night, but uh, the travel is phenomenal, and I get to go to some incredible places. Uh, I think in the first few years from turning pro, I raced on every single continent apart from Antarctica because there's no race, but um, I'd raced on. Much everything, and at those opportunities, I was able to do sort of outreach events with diabetes communities in every single one, so that's special as well.
2: That's incredible. Was that organized by the team on your behalf, or is that something that you wanted to do when you got there? How, how does that work?
1: A lot of the time, it's something organized by the team. We might have uh, the start of a stage, someone might come over, we might be able to reach out to local communities, but it's something we try to do whilst we're at the, those events. I actually represent the Isle of Man in. Gold Coast Commonwealth Games in 2018. And that was something that I'd organised myself with the team support because obviously I was there with the Isle of Man and not with Team Nova Nordisk, but uh, it was something I wanted to do and it was great to be able to do it whilst I was there and acting on behalf of the Isle of Man, but also Team Nova Nordisk.
2: You know, isn't that wonderful that you actually have, you actually have two careers here, don't you? You are, you're not just a pro cyclist, you're an ambassador at the same time using the vehicle, if you excuse the pun of your pro cycling to reach other people. I just think that's an absolutely wonderful thing that you're doing. Um, now, so challenges when you're traveling, have you ever had, um, a particular challenge with finding food that's appropriate or suitable? I know when I spoke to some athletes, some of the things that they have been faced with are perhaps less than palatable. <laughs> Go on, do share.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's a very good question. I remember one of my first races as, I, as a uh, as a pro cyclist. I mean, they have this term in cycling called the stagiaire, which is a trainee. So uh, in 2018, uh, 2017, sorry, I stagiaired for the last sort of six months of the season. And it usually is the sort of... Um, they're getting to grips with the team and then they'll give you a trial and then it's kind of your, um, well, I've forgotten the word, but um it's kind of your. Like an apprenticeship. Process. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of the apprenticeship, but like your induction, should we say? So I was sent to China for the tour of China and now it was, it was, I was told what I might be welcome to, but what, I also needed to take, which was basically a suitcase full of tins of tuna, uh, of f- food that I could eat because obviously, um, there's not a lot of consistent food out in China that you might recognize over here. So, <laughs> it's not like a Chinese takeaway on every corner. Like no, we would no, expect all to all that to be. it would be nice. It would be <laughs> nice. But, um, and that's no disrespect to them, but they have a different culture and yeah. that's what I find so fascinating about sport is I can go to a different culture and I can immerse myself in it fully except the tins of tuna so um (laughs) but I'm also living off the fact that I need to I need to feel myself as an athlete and not as the diabetes side of stuff although that has to come in hand in hand as well so um I went to China and I was shocked at how different it was in not in a bad way, but then I was there with tins of tuna, I had Mars bars, I had Snickers, I had everything in my suitcase to prepare. But I'm also living on the knowledge that one of my first ever coaches in cycling said, you need to be able to fuel on whatever you can find. So that was almost about making every food decision simple. So a carbohydrate and a protein, and then whatever else is Is manageable. You know, if you don't like potato and there's only potato, you have to eat the potato. So, yeah, you can't be fussy. No, you can't be fussy. Definitely not. And definitely not in China because you might not find what you're looking for. So that was a whirlwind, you know. um, It was great and it was nice to, again, immerse myself in a different situation. But I also realized that I'm fueling for the next week on the bike and the next few days on the bike and that's what comes first. So sometimes you have to adapt in different countries to race, it sound, it's going to sound stupid, but bread isn't bread wherever you go. So bread in America is a lot higher sugar content. Bread in in sort of Italy is different again to bread in France. So you have to kind of get used to that and build up that knowledge base. For me, anyway, that's, and that's absolutely not- key, isn't it? That I just, yeah, that's, that's- it, it makes a huge
2: difference. It makes a huge difference to yeah, the massively. person tasting it. But of course, from a nutritional standpoint, I mean, most of the breads in the US is made using what they call the Chorley Wood Method, which is this really fast-rising process. Loaves that can be made in under an hour, they are really high in sugars, really high in gluten and other things, but they are a fast-release carbohydrate, whereas something like a panda campagne in France would be made with that traditional fermenting process, like a sourdough, wouldn't have the same effect on your blood sugars. It's fascinating, this, isn't it? Wherever you go, you must build up so much knowledge
1: yeah huge but it's something that maybe if i wasn't uh type one i wouldn't realize you know because your body would auto correct for everything so if i was to eat a sandwich in america and a sandwich in britain my body would as if i wasn't type one my body would auto correct everything and sort itself out but for me i need to make sure that um I can figure out what's going on. So for example, I might need to take my insulin 20 minutes before in America than I would in the UK. So that's something that I just have to always be aware of. Uh, yeah, so really. it's just, bit, it's just, my brain is switched on all the time. So maybe that's why I speak so fast.
2: Interesting. So uh, tell me something. Do you cook? Is that something you
1: enjoy doing? Do you get a chance to cook? When You sound like you're barely home. <laughs> Um, it's, it's on the run a lot of the time. I love to cook. I absolutely adore cooking. I don't get to do enough of it. Mm -hmm. Uh, maybe you can give me some tips at some point. Uh, It would be great. (laughs) I absolutely love that. I love that time. Um, but it's very rare. You know, I come off a ride, like for example, I've just done four and a half hours this morning and I come home, I've had something to eat for lunch and now run our call, which is fantastic. But now I then have to recover for tomorrow and then there's a gym session as well. So it's trying to figure out what I can make in a short period of time that's still nutritional, you know. So a lot of the time I am I still rely on my fantastic mother to make some fantastic food. But uh, it's it, it is important and nutrition is vital in terms of performance levels and it's something eating at the right time, mm-hmm. eating the right foods. As a cyclist, it also – took me a while to switch the around because I think in Britain we traditionally eat a bigger evening meal whereas in cycling it's sort of focused on eating a bigger meal after your training session which I still quite haven't got to grips with yet (laughs) because when I come home and then my mum's made like sausage and mash at dinner and I'm like no I want sausage and mash but my head's like don't eat don't eat all of it because then you get a heavy sort of Uh, need for insulin in the evening so it's kind of trying to make sure that i do things for performance not because i love my mom you know so that's that
2: is i I have to say that is one of the hardest mentalities to get your head around isn't it you're absolutely right i mean actually for most of us the big evening meal is not the most healthy thing and many of us eat way way too late and it does affect all sorts of things including the rate of digestion and of course it interrupts your sleep has your condition ever interrupted your sleep or do you sleep very soundly (laughs)
1: I sleep pretty soundly you know I sleep fairly well it's the occasions where I don't sleep well which scare me because I usually I'd sleep anyway you know if I was on a train on a flight on the bus I would be asleep within 30 seconds and probably miss my stop so yeah, uh, yeah <laughs> I'm with you I'm of one of those too
2: <laughs> it's yeah. a really good thing to so be able to do two- isn't
1: it as soon as I feel comfortable, I'm asleep usually. So uh, apologies if, if, if anybody, <laughs> I fall asleep in your presence because I feel comfortable. Really but, comfortable. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So it's, I, I I touch wood don't have problems sleeping. I tend to wear myself out enough in the day that that's not the, not a case. Sounds
2: like it. Um, so tell me a little bit about growing up uh, on the Isle of Man. You were born and bred there. What was, yes. what was uh, your kind of yeah, Do you have siblings um, and what sort of foods did you enjoy when you were growing up
1: there? So, yeah, I have an older brother. He's 18 months older than me. Um, and we grew up pretty much side by side, you know, um, I was his best man at his wedding uh, a few years ago. And I, I think I did something in the talk saying, you know, he used to hate when I used to just like copy him. And I think that it was the biggest form of flattery, you know, because I, I wanted to be just like him, you know, and but that gave me sort of a competitive edge because I had someone older to beat all the time. So uh, I was lucky in that respect. But um, for those who don't know the, the Isle of Man, it's like the world's smallest island in the middle of the Irish Sea. Uh, Right off the coast of Liverpool and off sort of Irish coast, right in the middle, Uh, it's what twelve miles wide by forty miles long. So you couldn't get lost. I think that that helped in a diabetes diagnosis because my parents knew that I wasn't going to go too far, uh, but I was allowed (laughs) to just kick around, get dirty, um, go and play with my mates, and sort of like learn how my body was going to adapt to that kind of few years growing up on the Isle of Man was ace I absolutely had the best time the best childhood there my parents were fantastic Um my just my whole family you know where uh, my parents were both born here um, I was born here and it's a place that I just I love you know I've lived in the same house since I was born so it's it's a it's a homely vibe it's a small towns it's It's a very small island, but a great community. And that's what I crave, you know, when I'm away, it's somewhere that I can come back and reset. Um, The Isle of Man is such a special place. Um, It's not actually in the UK. Um, Don't ask me too much about the details. but um, (laughs) Yes, I know I'm familiar with having friends that live on islands that aren't, uh, you know, part of the UK. It's a weird one, but yeah, (laughs) yeah, it's it's special. It's a very special place and... um, I actually love it here, but growing up, the turn, like the food is very British. You know, my mum is a fantastic cook. You know, when I when I put food on a plate, it looks like vegetables, mashed potato, and meat. You know, it like and it all has its own little area, and it doesn't look anything. And my mum puts food on the plate, and it looks like a piece of art. You know, and I'm like, whoa! So that's <laughs> probably why I always come home for dinner. Um, but uh, it's we sort of a meal at the typical british meals you know like sausage and mash the comfort foods the homemade soups um that kind of food you know with big crusty bread and Mm. those hearty hearty winter foods uh, that's kind of what we grew up eating and then in sort of later on in life we started to sort of mum's started to do branch out different things she makes curries unbelievable I think this is how we first got started because um, I was speaking to you about some of the work in your cookbook and uh, (laughs) giving myself I'm not quite up to your standards yet but I'm, I'm getting there and hopefully now I'll have a bit more time in this off season to develop my own palette and develop my own sort of cooking style
2: Oh, that's absolutely brilliant. Now you see what you've given me is this image of you sitting in a hotel room in China eating out of a tin of tuna whilst at home your mum's cooking up an absolute storm restaurant oh, style British food. <laughs> no wonder you yeah. want to eat that mash that sausage and mash when you come home. Totally get it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, no,
1: I it's, it's I'll never move out if she's like that all the time. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. she's gotta start she poisoning the food sometime, doesn't she? <laughs> yeah, she's <laughs> she's gotta go. Home, yeah. <laughs>
2: Um, Now, we started this section talking about challenges. Have you ever had any sort of emergency interventions when you've been uh, competing or when you've been training? Have you ever required a third party to get involved? I mean, have you ever allowed yourself to get into that situation or are you so in control that it just has never happened for you?
1: I mean, there's only so much control you can have about anything, you know, and if you Mm. over-focus on something, then something's got to give. Um, There's situations where... I've gone lower pretty quickly and out of the blue and um, nothing touch wood again that r- would require like extra assistance. But, you know, obviously there's situations when you're dealing with a condition like diabetes, you have fluctuations in blood glucose. If you're asleep and your blood glucose is changing a lot, then that's where you get sort of enhanced sleep, I call it. But it's almost like a deeper sleep. And then yeah. it's like your blood sugars are dropping and then situations happen. Now, some people would wake up from certain lows or highs whereas i sleep pretty solidly no matter what so something i have to be aware about um now we've got alerts and alarms on the continuous glucose monitors so that has been something that has helped like that safety kind of uh, aspect of of being asleep and having your blood sugar monitored continuously um in terms of racing, having that data there, again, allows us to make a decision before something usually happens. It sort of allows us to step in there. There's situations where um, when I was first diagnosed, I might have had to call an ambulance because my sugars had gone so low that I wasn't able to react myself, but mm-hmm. that was years ago. So it's kind of making sure that I push everything to the limit and beyond that I know I can in terms of a physical ability, but also in the background make sure that the diabetes stuff is – is sort of in place as well, because when you go out for a bike ride, when you go out and for a drink, when you go out for a meal, you've got to realize that everything is a bit different. Everything is not quite, might not be what it seems, you know, for example, like it goes again to like the bread situation. But if you go out to a restaurant and you get a meal that you think's got a hundred gram carbs in, but it has 90 grams of carbs or 80 grams of carbs. And I've got to make sure that I have a safety net built in myself that if I underestimate all the time, because if I underestimate, then that means I'm always going to be on the safer side. So, um, it's kind of being aware of those situations, but not driving yourself crazy by it all. So, uh, nothing touch wood again has happened in a race. I've had a few teammates who have, um, maybe gone low in the race and we've had to go back to the team car to get extra bottles but that's just part of racing you know I'd have to do that anyway so uh, it's trying to limit variables make sure that I've got the answers sort of stashed away so I've got something always in case of a rainy day an extra gel an extra bar but um, again that they have those situations covered
2: that's really interesting and thank you for sharing that because I think that's one of the things that people who are newly diagnosed and who do participate in sport find quite scary this idea that they might have a situation whilst they're performing whilst they're competing and it puts them at a disadvantage so I really appreciate you
1: sharing that aspect. I mean, Just just on top of that it's something that you have to get used to as well you know like I would say that like that's something that is going to happen. Like lows and highs happen. It's just mm-hmm. something you have to learn to develop. You have to learn to live with. Um, you can't control everything all of the time, and that's the thing. You need to be a bit more flexible, a bit understanding. Um, and something I I get told off sometimes for being overly positive uh, about my diabetes because my diabetes is my superpower, you know. But it's not everybody's superpower, and I appreciate that, and I understand that if people don't want to do something, uh, I I work off this analogy of limitations. Uh, The only person who has a right to put a limitation on me is me. So you go through school and there's people who might bully you, trying to put limitations on you, trying to put you in a box that, they want to put you in. Now that's something that you might come across as someone with diabetes. Someone tries to bully you, tries to put you in a box and you don't want to be in that. So that's something that's their ignorance and you don't have to apologize for someone else's ignorance. So um, if I don't want to do something, that's fine. And if you don't, if someone with type one diabetes doesn't want to be a professional athlete, it's okay. And it might not be a superpower, but don't like, don't worry about it. You'll find your calling, you'll find your place. And It's something that it shouldn't put you off. I want just people to have a positive vibe with it and realise that, okay, not every day is straightforward. Diabetes is really hard, Mm -hmm. but I found my way of dealing with it, and that's this.
2: And actually, you said, regardless of whether you became a pro athlete or not there are so many benefits that you have found in your everyday life to being diagnosed there's so many more it's such a great level of understanding that you have of your own body and how human bodies work of your organizational skills of planning but do you know what the probably the biggest thing for me was your attitude there to well things do go wrong you can't control everything that's a metaphor for life right there quite a serious yeah. one in the case of type one diabetes, but the, the reality is don't beat yourself up if, if, if you get it wrong or if, if something is different and it's beyond your control, because like you say, you can't control everything. It's absolutely fascinating. I exactly. would love and to. Tomorrow
1: new day. <laughs> What's that? Sorry. Uh, I said, yeah. And tomorrow day, you know, so it's um, our connection. It's just so again, so. Yeah, our connection's yeah, sorry, not
2: great at the moment, but I think the Tomorrow is a new day. Yeah, yeah, let's, tomorrow is a new day. Yeah, let's just take a brief pause here. I would love to talk to you a little bit about how your how changes in technology have made a difference to you um, and how you can perform
0: today. Windsor, Windsor Ascot, 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 Maidenhead, Bracknell, Bracknell, Wokingham, Wokingham Henley, Henley, Reading. Reading. Okay. Ta-da! The voice, River Radio, of the Thames Valley. So, welcome
2: back. This is Let's Do Lunch. I'm Jenny Tishy, a registered nutritionist and an absolute foodie. And today I am joined by Sam, who is joining us from the Isle of Man, actually, uh, during the off-season, because Sam is a pro cyclist. He cycles for a team called Team Novo Nordisk, who are all... All of the riders are type 1 diabetic, and that's really unusual. In fact, they're the first team, all diabetic professional cycling team in the world. So, this is a really unique opportunity, and I'm relishing this opportunity to ask lots and lots of questions. Sam's going to have his head completely quizzed by the end of this session. So, (laughs) Um, so can we talk a little bit about um, the technology side of things? You mentioned how much easier it is for you now to be fully aware of where your blood sugars are at, they're even being monitored in your sleep. that hasn't always been the case for you, though, has it?
1: No, I mean, uh, yeah, so... I First of all, I love answering questions, especially about diabetes. (laughs) You know, it's something I'm so well-versed on. I could talk about it all day, and I have that attitude, and I love it. So, uh, yeah, when I was first diagnosed, there was no such thing as continuous uh, glucose monitors. It was a finger-prick, 10-second wait for the blood to be measured, and then a a number, and that number is just giving you a single point in time, and it allows me to make a decision based on that. But if I'm out doing, I don't know, a... um, a base jump or a parachute from an aeroplane—I have no idea what my bud's doing at that moment. So it doesn't really help much unless I have the access to the monitor. Whereas now, with continuous monitors, it has helped sort of um tenfold, you know, even if not more. Because I've mentioned it a couple of times, and um, it gives an answer. To a question that you always need answered. So, having the number in front of me on my phone, on my receiver to tell me that my blood sugar is 4.8, it's 6.9, it's 12, it's 13, you know, it gives me this sort of data that then allows me to make the next decision. So, am I high? Am I low? Am I in zone? And then it allows me to say, okay, then if I'm in that zone, then this is what I need to do next. So, it's given me the continuous answer to a continuous question. So it's given me an ability to do everything on the move, which is phenomenal, you know, especially as a professional athlete, uh, to be able to know real time whilst on the bike what's going on. Um, it, it's absolutely phenomenal.
2: That's Really, really interesting. So I know, you know, some people when they're newly diagnosed, they're not going to be given that opportunity. They're not going to be able to use that technology at this point. So what age were you when it became not only available, but when it became something that you available to you that you could actually use?
1: It's it's something that I only began to use when I joined the team. Obviously, it existed, but it was uh, private funding at Mm. that point. Uh, in 2016, it was only available to those who, we have this thing uh, in, I don't know if it's the NHS or whether it's in just the world in general, but you're only given something like that when your blood sugar control is bad. And, And I hate the term bad because I'm not bad if my sugar levels are high because that's just part of life. You know, I might be going through puberty. I might be growing up. I might have a growth spurt with a lot of the younger listeners might understand that and realize you can't always be in that level of control. And that's why I don't like the term bad. But if you have a higher, like, sort of, if your diabetes is termed bad, then you have more chance of getting one. And then when your diabetes becomes good, they take it away, which is really, really, like, role reversal you know it didn't work in my head how but anyway that's, yeah but if that's you had the, the tools goes, so you could manage it better could always you? be good yeah exactly so um but that's something um, for another day you know i do I'll try to do a lot of work or uh, we did a, a thing on the isle of man called monitors for kids where uh, i didn't do a, a lot but I put my name to a a mission where we raised uh, nearly 200,000 pounds in 18 months to allow all kids to have a continuous glucose monitor, which is now being taken over by the government, which is phenomenal. So uh, the that's amazing. Absolutely fantastic. The parents did absolutely fantastic on that. And it was a privilege to to help in the smallest possible way. But I didn't actually get access myself until I joined the team. So in 2016, I was then given our team a continuous monitor, and that's something that we've continued to use since. So um, now it's available on the NHS. Now it's available on prescription. So uh, it's something that is progressing. The technology is progressing, and that then leads to it become cheaper and easier to get hold of. So
2: your entire team are always aware of where their blood sugars are at. You mentioned that yeah. sometimes people will feel the need to go back to the car to get fuel or to receive treatment they are so aware that they know before an event happens isn't that wonderful how technology has progressed that we're now at that in that situation and it allows you to perform well let's talk about that where in the world have you competed which uh, races Mm -hmm. have you competed in i was having a little look at your profile earlier on you've really been far and wide (laughs) haven't you
1: yeah, I've been around, you know um, I, So in in terms of big races I've raced Milan-San Remo three times Which is one of five monuments of cycling One of the biggest races in the world It's actually the longest one day race in the world It's 300 kilometers from Milan to San Remo Which is just on the Italian-French border uh, It's a phenomenal race And that's something that I grew up watching uh, I pinch myself when I race it still now uh, In terms of World tour level races, it's one of the biggest. Uh, also raced in Tour of Poland, um, Tour of uh, UAE, uh, as well as like Tour of Colombia, Tour of Rwanda, uh, Commonwealth Games in Australia. Um, I'm trying to think of the ones the furthest apart, but I've raced a few times in Japan. Um, where else have I raced? Um, China, as we mentioned before. Um, off the top of my head, a lot of European based races in uh, North America. So uh, everywhere and i love it and different climates as well i mean how does that affect you
2: does it is it something you have to take into consideration
1: yeah definitely i mean i for someone who's from sort of the british area handling heat i (laughs) handle it fairly well but a lot of people who don't handle that changing climate well but it's and the thing with cycling is you arrive like the day before you don't even get a chance build up, it's not like you go for three weeks four, and you sit on the bench and get used to warmth it's, uh, I remember going to Australia uh, for Commonwealth Games, I'd actually flown from um, I did milan Sanremo. I then flew out to, back to the Isle of Man changed my bag overnight then I went to Japan to race the Tour of Chichigi and then I flew from Japan back to the UK for two weeks and then back out to Australia for two weeks so it's kind of one of those things where you learn to live with this kind of sleeping pattern but also that diabetes comes by. Oh, we've lost People the connection again there. there we go. We're condition. back. Condition. Oh, we've lost Sorry. that connection
2: now. Don't worry, that's fine. That's We're so back I was, now. Yeah, we are back now. Yeah, so I think you're talking oh, about that yeah, well jet lag yeah.
1: and lack of sleep. So yeah, so jet, jet lag and that sort of need for a uh, a regime which I built up is really difficult when you're jumping time zone to time zone so that's something also that I had to sort of learn to understand um but the the travel and the moving around I mean I remember one of the biggest races I did early on in my career was the tour of Thailand as well so it's kind of like trying to figure out how my body's going to cope with that 15 hour time shift or however long so it's something that your brain has to compute but also your body and realize that don't be too hard on yourself in those situations. I think you've just uh, highlighted the need for human
2: computers over any other type, any other kind. You're going to be the best computer for your body, aren't you? <laughs> um, so any, if there are any um, newly diagnosed and aspiring young athletes out there, is there any advice that you would give them? I mean, obviously, you know, I know you're not medically trained, but is there any nutritional advice that you would give them to take on board if they're worried at this stage about, you know, things that they could or couldn't do or should or shouldn't do
1: yeah nutritional advice well i it's just it's it's making everything manageable you know making everything sort of simple i said Mm. before you know if if you've been given this condition to all of a sudden manage overnight something changes overnight and all of a sudden it's feels like a lot of data a lot of information and it's again dealing with the situation in front of you you can't worry about what's going to happen in a week because it's a week away Mm. okay in certain respects if you're going away in a week you can worry about that and get stuff built up but with diabetes you can't do that so it's kind of like just breaking it down making it simple making it task by task and realizing that there's this misconception in diabetes that you can't eat that and that's something that you've probably heard a lot you know the only thing i can't eat is poison and everybody can't eat poison so (laughs) we've got that in common (laughs) exactly so it's just making sure that there's there's an answer for every solution so Mm -hmm. if the solution is I want to eat this cake then the answer is this is what I have to do to do it so it's like making some things simple don't believe everything you're told because sometimes there's situations where you feel that you should trust a certain person and sometimes you know your body better. That's not saying don't listen to other people. That's just me saying... Sometimes your body is telling you something different and the, you need to listen to that as well. Yeah. Uh, in terms of general advice, and I've said it before on this call, and I'll say it again, it's the best thing that ever happened to me. Um, there's actually a mural in Manchester that Marcus Rashford had painted about him. And he, I think it's along the lines of, um, little did I know that when all this was happening, it was my, or my greatest my greatest sort of weakness would turn out to be my greatest strength. And that's something that is rings true for me. And I'm sure it rings true for a lot of the listeners of newly diagnosed, but I would say by making it simple, by breaking it all down, you're then already one step ahead. And that is something so special and it's something to be proud of. I mean, we don't take enough time to realize what we've done and what we're doing is actually really big, and it's huge and you don't give enough praise to each other enough praise to ourselves. So just realize that you're in a situation where you're here, you're fighting, you're enjoying it. And it's just something that you got to learn to live with and just um, don't give up. Just keep pushing it. Like I said before, tomorrow's a new day, so keep keep smiling as well.
2: I love all of that. That's absolutely, it is inspiring. You are inspiring. Um, so you are in your off-season at the moment. You still clearly yes. are training yeah, reasonably hard. What does the future hold for you?
1: So, um, future, well, I've got um, going into the next season, 2022, with Team Nova Nordisk, um, just, to, I, want to, I want to win bike races, no beating around the bush. I want to win. I want to be on the top step of the podium. Um, I'll take second or third in the process as well. So, um, I just want to be the best I can be. You know, I, I said before, I give this platform to, in the hope that quietly I can support somebody who needs the support. Um, if they can see something that I'm doing that'll help them that's big for me, really, really big. And, you know, um, there's a difference. Like I I keep going back to anecdotes, but there's one that someone taught me on the Isle of Man. And it's the difference between motivation and commitment. And people say, how can you be motivated when it's raining and go, well, okay, it's raining outside. I'm always pretty motivated, but my commitment is something that never changes. My commitment is when I get on the bike, I'm riding for everyone around the world affected by diabetes to inspire, educate, and empower everyone around the world affected by diabetes. And my commitment is to that family, that community. So getting on the bike every day is easy when you realize that. Uh, So for me, 2022 is going to be a, a huge year. I hope I want to be on the podium. I want to help Team Nevernordisk win a race but also i'd love to go to the commonwealth games for the isle of man again so um in birmingham this year or next year so um in middle of august so if anyone's around come yes yes hi. yes
2: i hope to be there myself i'm working on a project for it at the moment so that's really exciting oh, um so i'm sure after listening to this um there'll be a lot of people that would love to know more about you um, and about team Novo nordis so where can people find out more
1: so yeah, if you go to teamnovanautist.com, is everything on there, all the connections to my social media. I tried to push out there in positive um, diabetes front um, on my social media. So I'm just Sam Brand on all social media platforms. Uh, some might use Samuel Neal brand because yep. it's my full name when uh, my Sunday name, when my mom's telling me off, um, but uh, always reach out, you know, I try, I'm, I'm fairly busy, but I, if there's a question I try to interact and help, you know, so I've got, to, I, I do my best to to get back and sort of, it might not be immediate, but I'm there. So please feel free to reach out.
2: So Instagram Samuel Neil brand is your, is your handle. Yes. So that's all a-
1: or my website is SamuelBrand.com, so Samuel com. So go on brand. there
2: in the contact form and And you don't feel like we're telling you off when we call you Samuel. We're all good with that. Good, okay. Well, that's been absolutely brilliant. Um, Sam, thank you so much for talking to me today. I feel like I've been trying to represent lots of people who I feel will gain so much from listening to what you've had to say. So I really appreciate that. And I hope I've done people that really, really, really are going to benefit from what you've said justice today. Um, Can we finish? We haven't got long, but really quick fire questions. uh, What would be your your whole bucket list to, meal your final meal if you had to have one what would it be oh
1: well we're coming up to christmas we're in britain uh it's winter time it would be the traditional roast dinner and it would probably be a lamb roast dinner so that's something my mum absolutely nails i'm not saying you or somebody else couldn't nail it better but (laughs) But your mum does best for a sunday roast dinner a six-hour ride on the bike, coming home to a Sunday roast. I love that.
2: If you were to have a fantasy dinner party, who
1: would be invited? You've got four guests. Oh, four guests. Okay. Um, oh, um, right, so I'll have to go for a sportsman, so Usain Bolt. Okay, yeah, so good. I'd love to meet Usain say I actually uh, met him briefly at the last Commonwealth Games, so Usain Bolt would be on the list. I love that. Yeah. Um, I'm a huge uh, rock and roll fan. So it would be someone from the who, but if I was, or the Rolling Stones or something along those lines. So if I had to pick someone, probably pick Mick Jagger. Um, and <laughs> then I absolutely, I've gone for an, a, sort of an eclectic mix here. So, um, I love my movies as well, and in that one, I've gone for Robin Williams because he is a phenomenal man. So somebody who can keep them all entertained while I used to cook the dinner. So, um, and then on top of that, I wanted to have somebody who is also a bit different. But uh, you might laugh at this one, but I've gone for the Queen. You know, so yeah, why I'd not? Have somebody who's who's been through a big sort of generation change. You know, mm. someone who's been through what we've witnessed over the last sort of eight years is a big step forward. I mean, they think that the first mobile phone was twenty years ago. So she's seen a lot. So it'd be Ace to pick her brains at the same time. <sighs> You know what? This has been absolutely wonderful and an
2: absolute pleasure. Um, thank you so much for speaking to me today. And um, for anybody that wants to learn more, you've heard it here. Um, go and check out Team Novo Nordisk, the first all type 1 diabetic pro cycling team in the world. Sam Brand, Sam Mule, <laughs> Neil Brand, if you want to follow on on Instagram, has been who I've been talking to today and is one of those pro cyclists. And as far as I'm concerned, has been one of the most inspirational people i've had on my podcast so thank you very very much i hope you've enjoyed this today and if you have please do go in and give us a five star rating we are on apple we are on spotify or wherever you normally download your podcasts from Um, sam do you have any any final things you'd like to say
1: no just a huge thank you you know because um i like i say i have this platform and i want other people to sort of um, benefit from that so uh, thank you so much and uh, again I'm awaiting everyone's questions oh
2: thank you Sam thank you very much for your time you take care have a wonderful Cheers. off season and when you go back to cycling I, well I hope to see you in Birmingham it'd be great to meet yeah. up in person we never have actually done so <laughs> thank you everyone for listening take care bye bye Windsor,
0: Windsor Ascot, Ascot, Ascot Maidenhead, Maidenhead, Maidenhead Bracknell, Bracknell Wokingham, Wokingham, Wokingham Henley, Henley, Henley Reading OK ta <laughs> The Voice River Radio of the Thames Valley.